Well, it, it truly is a pleasure and privilege to be here with you this morning. My wife Linda is here with me. We have been your number one cheerleaders from afar for well over a dozen years as we have followed the trajectory and history of what God is doing in this place here. And the other hat that I wear right now, uh, in addition to what was uh, said earlier, is that I'm on the pastoral staff of New Community Covenant Church in Bronzeville. So we are brothers and sisters uh, of another mother, if you want to say it that way, but we are part of you. And uh, I was just sharing with, with, with one of you a few moments ago how much we enjoy every time that we from Bronzeville are able to get together with you, whether it's for a worship night or some joint training or things like that. And um, there's, there's some of us, myself included, that want to see that relationship just increase uh, over time. So it's been, that's been a, a huge, huge uh, blessing for, for us. Before we turn to the Word this morning, I have a couple of uh, things that I want to share with you. Uh, one is that, as, as was said in the introduction, I, I have been interacting with the leadership of, of your congregation for the past couple of years and have been so impressed by the quality of people that God has brought into leadership here at this church. And this morning, I just want to take a moment uh, to acknowledge these people that serve so well. Some of them are up front, and you know them. You see them all the time. Others you may not even know exist. And uh, it's just been a privilege to work along with Armida and Sharon and Michael and Mickey, uh, who are on the leadership team right now, and I know they're looking for growth there. Yeah, looking, looking for some, uh, some kindred spirits there as well. Uh, but then in addition to that, it's, it's really been a pleasure to work with Liz and Trevor, James, Doug, Tim, Jessica, Bobby Joe, Carlton, and John, who are on staff here at New Community Covenant. They would be the first to acknowledge that there is no way that they could do what they do here without this literal army of volunteers that serves so faithfully here at Newcom. So could you just give yourselves another hand there? In, in Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, he says, the leaders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor. Honor your leaders here at New Community. Thank you so much for, for that. And then secondly, Secondly, I want to acknowledge that this is Martin Luther King's birthday. Today, it's the 15th. Uh, tomorrow's the official holiday here, but kind of this weekend we dedicate um, to honoring the memory and the legacy of this great man, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Um, and I would just like to say before we start our, our, our time together in the Word this morning that there is no way that the Reverend Dr. King could have said what he said, done what he did, written what he wrote, and left the legacy that he left apart from the fact that he was a man of the word of God. That is foundational to who this man. Did this man have flaws? Of course. Do we all? Yes, absolutely. He was a man of the word of God, and because of that, we continue to remember him and his legacy 
to this day. And I want to acknowledge that this morning as we start. Uh, this is not a message about Dr. King, but this is, this is the day and tomorrow, of course, when we remember this man. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the first chapter of the book of 2 Peter. When I was invited to come and be with you this morning and given this, um, this kind of vague heading of, you know, how to read the Bible, um, I was right then in the middle, um, just personally, of going through uh, the book of 2 Peter. And I kept going back to the first chapter over and over again, I'll talk a little more about that later, and began to see in here several things regarding the Word of God. And the direction I'm going to go this morning is going to feel a lot more like why should we read the Word of God as opposed to how, but stay with me, there's a little bit of how at the end. But uh, this, this passage, I think, is, I believe, is what God has for us today. I'm going to read the entire passage, uh, the, the entire first chapter. It's a little bit longish, uh, but you can follow along on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them to 2 Peter chapter 1, a letter that uh, the Apostle Peter wrote to a group of churches, a lot of people he didn't even know, and of course, down through the ages, we have become some of those people who are the recipients of this letter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God our Savior, God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, 
whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy had its origin I'm sorry, prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Church, this is the word of God for us today. Let us pray. Father, as we approach your word today, we approach it with humility. We have been reminded of your presence here with us today and your amazing grace that is upon us. And as we spend some moments in this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote, we ask that your spirit would open our eyes and open our hearts, that we might receive what you have for us today, and that you would be glorified in this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I think we could get a flavor just in this, this first chapter of, of Second Peter of what Peter is doing in regards to these churches that he is writing to. He is, he is encouraging the followers of Jesus Christ in their relationship with God. And he's demonstrating in several ways that we'll see in this passage that the Word of God, the Bible, and for us today it may look like a book, it may look like a phone, it may look like a tablet, but the Word of God, the Bible, is the primary resource for us in that relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. This whole chapter is about God from start to finish. Peter introduces us in the very first verse of this chapter to God the Son, Jesus Christ. In the second verse, God the Father, the creator of all things. And in the final verse at the very end, God the Holy Spirit. And everything that's bookended by, by these three members of what we call the Trinity is, is revealing to us more about who God is and what he has done. I want us to look at just three words in this chapter this morning. You probably remember them. Promises, knowledge, and memory. Promises, knowledge, and memory. Now I think we will all agree that promises are very important. When we think of any relationship that we are in, Promises are very important because our promises and how we fulfill them create a track record, right? We've all experienced it. We know people who, man, they are good for their word. I will do this. I will be there. I will fill in the blank. And sure enough, they keep their word. Their promises are kept. That builds a track record, and we begin to trust that person more and more as they build that record. But unfortunately, many of us have been in relationships with people who aren't quite so good about keeping their promises. They're great at making them, but they might not be so good at following through on them. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Oh, you know what? I got real busy doing this other thing. And pretty soon, the track record that's built with that person is like, there's kind of some doubt here. I'm, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but based on the last three things you told me, I'm not so sure that I'm going to put much in that. 
The person who makes a promise and keeps a promise consistently is the person that gives us hope. Because then when they say something else to us that may seem like, wow, is that even possible? Oh yeah, the last 10 things they've promised, they have actually made good on. Promises are important. Peter knows that. And so here in verses 3 and 4, he talks about God's promises for us. Let me reread those verses, 3 and 4. He's talking about God. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has, here it comes, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God has given us, he has gifted us his very great and precious promises. As we start looking at the word of God well beyond this passage, we find that scripture is filled with promises that God has made. Some of those promises are super specific. It's like God talking to one person, Abraham, you old man, you're going to be a father of a child, and, and, and that child's going to be born, and a great nation's going to come out from you. This is a, two people in this conversation, God and Abraham. Moses, you are going to lead my people out of captivity into the land I've promised for them. Some are very specific to a person. Sometimes it's to a family or to a group of people. And there's many Old Testament promises that are for the nation of Israel. And God makes promises and we can see in Scripture where they are fulfilled. But there are also promises in the Bible that are universal and completely applicable to all of us. We'll look at some of those in just a moment. Several types of promises in the Word of God. Some of them are made and fulfilled in real time. Some of them have a short-term duration between the promise being made and the promise being kept. Some of them have a long or a very long duration in between the promise being made and the promise being kept. Examples. We just came through the Christmas season. Okay, the advent of Jesus Christ. We're anticipating his coming, the celebration of his birth. And we all know this passage in Luke chapter 2 Verses 11 and 12, where these angels have come, angels, messengers from God, with a message from God. They came to these shepherds, and here's what we read, that these angels say to the shepherds, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Here comes the promise. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, so these, these shepherds, they receive this word, this promise from God, and what do they do? They drop everything and they head for Bethlehem to find out what is all this about. And we read this in verse 20 after they were returning to their sheep. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Promise made by God. 30 minutes later, these guys are in Bethlehem. Find, wow, it's exactly like they told us. And they come back glorifying God. Real time. Promise made, promise kept. Sometimes there's a shorter duration of time between 
one of God's promises and when it is fulfilled. In the Old Testament book of 2 Kings in chapter 7, the, the Israelite nation is, is, is walled inside the city of Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. They are being besieged by an enemy army who's not fighting them, but they have completely surrounded the city and they are literally starving the Israelites out. That's how they're going to win this battle. And they're winning the battle. People are dying on a daily basis. The prophet Elisha is in town. He's in Samaria. The king is in town. He's in Samaria. And Elisha is talking to the king, and he says this in, in verse 1 of 2 Kings 7. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gates of Samaria. So the promise that God has made to his people and is delivering through his prophet to the king and ultimately to the people themselves is that this is all going to be over in 24 hours. By this time tomorrow, food is going to be so abundantly available that large quantities of grain and flour and things, staples we need for life are going to be like sold for almost nothing, for pennies. And if we read on, we find out that indeed God chases the entire enemy army off and they leave everything behind including enough food to feed an army and the people of Israel are able to go out and get all the food they wanted 24 hours between a promise being made and the promise being kept it is is God's track record feeling good to you at this point with these promises Let's jump to the, back to the New Testament when Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem near the end of his earthly ministry. And in Matthew 20, 17, we read that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Three times Jesus made this series of promises to his followers, and they never wanted to hear it. They, 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 that, this was not how they thought things were, were supposed to go. But Jesus is telling them what's going to happen, and he's promising his resurrection. This promise was kept probably a week or 10 days later after Jesus spoke these words in Matthew chapter 20. Kind of a medium-term duration, but God again makes good on his word. And then finally, there's some longer-term promises in Scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He's been around for about 40 days. The Apostle Paul says over 500 people were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus during that time frame. He eats meals with his followers, etc. And now it's time for him to return to the Father. And so he's on this mountaintop with his followers, and, and, and he's literally physically taken up into heaven before their eyes. Acts 1 verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Now, if, if the 
followers of Jesus were remembering other promises that Jesus had made to them that had been fulfilled during their life. And if they were remembering the Old Testament and the multitude of promises that God made that they saw or heard of the fulfillment of, now they have hope that as they listen to these words that came from, again, messengers, angels from God, that Jesus will come back in the same way that they have seen him go. Now they have hope and reason to believe that God will indeed fulfill his promise. Every single promise from God recorded in the Bible that was fulfilled in the Bible creates hope for us as we consider promises that God has made and have yet to be fulfilled. 130 years ago, a man by the name of Russell Carter wrote a hymn. I remember this. I happened to be of that age that we actually sang this one in church. And it was called Standing on the Promises. This is one stanza from that hymn where he writes, Standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. I happen to believe that Russell Carter had this passage of scripture in front of him as he penned these words, the great and precious promises of God. And the Apostle Peter Church is encouraging us by pointing us to God's 100% success rate in keeping his promises. The promises of God are recorded here for us in the word of God, and we do well to both seek those promises out and make them foundational pieces in our life. The very great and precious promises of God. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something here for the next 90 seconds. I would like you to turn to the person next to you. If you don't know them, quickly introduce yourself. And I would like you to share one of God's promises from his word that you are aware of. Just one, just one. There's literally hundreds, and I'd just like you to think of one. Now you're saying, some of you are saying, I have no idea. Okay, that's okay. The other person might know two, and they can share one with you. So I want you to take the next 90 seconds, talk to each other. I'll call you back. Go, go ahead and share some promises with one another. All right, sounds like you're winding down just a little bit there, but thank you for doing that. Maybe some of you heard a promise that you needed to hear today, something important to you. Let's be alert as we read scripture to the promises that God has made and the promises that God is making to us. 
The second word is knowledge. We have the very great and precious promises of God, and Peter uses the word now knowledge several times in this passage. I'm going to just read a couple examples to you. There's not a slide for this one, but again, we're just here in 1 Peter 1. Verse 2, Peter says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And then finally in verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is doubling down here on this word knowledge and repeating it over and over again. But I think there's actually two things, two messages that he is communicating to us when he talks about knowledge of God. The first one is a cerebral piece, okay? Knowledge about God, things we learn about God. And, and, and the scripture, again, is the place we go for that. And this is not a bad thing. It's good for us to, to read scripture and learn things about God. But at a deeper level, I think Peter is talking to us here about this relational piece, not just a cerebral piece, this relational piece where he's, he's saying that, that God is making himself known to us. God certainly knows us inside and out. He created us. He knows all about us. And, and he's inviting us into this relationship with him, and he wants to make himself known to us. And Peter is saying here in these verses that, that through our knowledge of God, our knowing of God, we enter into this ever-deepening relationship with God. Our knowledge of God comes primarily from this book, from the Bible, the things we learn about God and, and the place God reveals himself to us to be in relationship with us. He wants us, he wants his readers to experience the grace, peace, and divine power that comes from knowing the God who makes himself known to us. And that's one of the reasons why we read the Bible, because this is where God reveals himself to us. So we have the, the very great and precious promises. We have the knowledge of God. And then finally, I want us to look at the word memory. Memory. Peter uses this or some form of it several times here in verses 12 through 15. Peter says this, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it off, put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. What's Peter doing here? Well, I think... Peter knew his readers well enough to know that they were forgetful people, like us. They were human. They were frail. They were well-intentioned, but probably short 
on memory. And Peter is saying is, as long as I've got breath, I'm going to continue to remind you of the truth about God. But in addition to Peter's pastoral reminders when he was present with the followers of Jesus, he also wanted to make provision for them to continue to be reminded after he was gone. Peter is writing these letters from a prison in Rome. Okay? He's, he, he can see the handwriting on the wall. He knows what's going on around him. He knows why he's in prison there. And he knows that his days are numbered. So, so he writes these two letters. First and second Peter is what we call them. He writes these two letters to the churches not only to remind them now, but in the hopes that those letters would be able to be useful to remind people beyond Peter's life. I seriously doubt that as Peter wrote these two letters, he thought, I'm contributing to the Bible. I don't think so. I don't think so. He knew the Hebrew scripture. He had access to that. And I don't think he had any, any idea that these letters that he wrote would ultimately become a part of the New Testament of the Bible. But God's Holy Spirit was at work and using Peter in ways that he probably didn't understand at the time. So Peter writes these letters so that his readers and us would remember who our God is, that we would be reminded of what he has done for us, and that he is always going to make good on his promises to us. Reminding, reminding. I think that Peter, church, is setting an example for us here. Peter is just one of us. He really wasn't anybody special. If you read the Gospels, you find he screwed up quite a bit. But Jesus used him nonetheless and prepared him for the work that he was doing. And part of that work that Peter took on was to be reminding the followers of Jesus of the truth of who God is and what he has done. I believe that's our responsibility as well. We need to be reminding each other by sharing our stories, by, by interacting with the scriptures together, what, whatever it takes to keep in, in, in the top of our memories what God has done for us, what God is doing for us, what God invites us into on a regular basis. Following the example of Peter, we need to be about reminding one another. So in this one chapter, we see that the Bible is filled with great and precious promises from God. We see a pathway towards knowing God and being in relationship with God. And we see that it's important to pay attention to these reminders and share these reminders of who he is and what he has done for us. That's the why that I see in this passage today. Peter encourages us towards Scripture for these very reasons that he has stated here. The how, I'd like to just shift gears for a moment here at the, at the end of this message um, in, in, in honor and respect to the title of this sermon series, How to Read the Bible. So knowing what Peter has already told us, what are the best practices for us for staying engaged in the Word of God. 
I was with a physical therapist not too long ago, and I asked the therapist, well, what are the best exercises to do for this particular condition? And I was completely shocked at his answer. I was expecting he'd give me like these three or four exercises. Do these every day, and that's, that's what you need to do. But instead, what he said to me is the best exercises for this condition are the ones that you actually do. I'm like, what? He goes, if you're consistent with the exercises you do, you're going to get the best results possible. And as I thought about that in terms of the, the, the scripture and how we approach it, it's like it's going to look a little different for each one of us. But the best practices for us to engage with the word of God are the ones that we actually practice, the things that we actually do, the things that we actually follow through on. There isn't one best way to engage with the word of God. So for you personally, the best approach is the one that you actually practice. Now, full disclosure here. I am very skeptical about overly formulaic approaches to the Word of God. I am. I confess, okay? Might work for you. Doesn't work for me. Read through the Bible in one year. Read through two chapters in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament, one psalm. Do that every day for the whole year. You can read through the whole Bible in a year. Follow this daily guide. Read this scripture and my little commentary every day. There, there's, there's value in that, but personally, I have benefited from a much more organic approach to the Word of God, more of a relational approach, I guess I would say. Here's what I've learned. First off, and this is a repeat from last week, I listened to the sermon, don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry as you move through the Word of God. Locking yourself into a specific amount of reading every day or whatever, and then moving on the next day can be like driving your car through Yellowstone Park and never getting out of the vehicle. Okay? All you see out the window is an overview of Yellowstone Park. But if you don't park the car and get out and walk down this little path to where there's actually a geyser that's going to blow off every 60 minutes, you're never going to see it. And, and if you don't stop your car and pull over and watch the mother bear escort her cubs across the road in front of you, you're, you're never going to enjoy and appreciate that kind of thing. And don't put yourself into a hurry-up approach to the Word of God. You may get a nice overview, but there probably will be less depth. Be okay with a very short amount of reading, and if you need to, return to it the next day. I want to camp on that just for a second. I, I've, for a long time, I was like more, okay, I'm moving through chapter day, whatever. And I finally realized that I needed to stop every once in a while. I needed to circle back the next day and maybe the next day after that and look at this passage of Scripture. And by doing that and prayerfully, literally prayerfully asking God, what do you have for me in this passage here? I have received some of the most significant benefits from the Word of God when I have taken that approach. Don't be too quick to go to the reference books. There's tons of them out there. They're great. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got some commentaries on the shelf that I will refer to from time to time. But the place to start is with the Holy Spirit. God, what do you have for me in this passage here rather than what did you have for a person who wrote that book when they read this particular passage? 
Don't be too quick to go to the reference books. And finally, engage with other members of your faith community around the Word of God. Okay? We are built for community in all aspects, and we need to be interacting with other people. It should be normative, church, for us to be able to have conversations with people that include something like, can I share with you what God showed me yesterday in the Word? Or, have you ever gotten hung up on this passage before that's really got me hung up right now? There's, there's so much value in doing that in community. Right now, I am blessed to be part of a very small group of people, a handful of people, that every week spends a little time in the Word of God. I cannot tell you how much I've learned just because of interaction, to, see, to hear other people's perspectives that God has revealed to them about a certain part of the Word of God. Don't be in a hurry. Don't go to the reference books so quickly. Engage with other members of your faith. Find those practices that work for you and then practice those practices. Church, God has given us his word as one of the primary places to connect with him. Don't be afraid of digging into God's word. There's no substitute for time spent meeting with God here in his word. Our spiritual practices of, of prayer and solitude and worship and stewardship of our time, our talents, our life experiences, and our resources, they all flow out of our engagement with God in his word. Otherwise, we're just getting things secondhand from other people. One of those practices that flows out of the word of God is this table that's set before us this morning. And in a few moments, we're going to be gathering here. That's how practical God is with us and his word. My hope this morning, church, is that God gets each of our attentions at some point. There's a lot here, a lot here in this passage. I hope some of you will circle back and read it for yourself. But God certainly has every intention of us having a robust relationship with his word so that we may have a robust relationship with him. And I pray that that will be the case for each one of us as you move through this series, as you move through your walk with God on a daily basis. Let us pray. God, first and foremost, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you have crafted it for us. I thank you that you have put it in our hands, given us access to it, and I thank you, God, for how you reveal yourself through your word. God, as we are, are being challenged on a weekly basis now uh, for a while in regards to your word, I just pray that you will open our hearts to um, whatever it is that you have for each one of us. Because I know for a fact, I know from personal experience, that time spent in your word is, is extremely worthwhile, and it's, it's really not optional for somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ. So thank you for this time, God. Thank you for each one that's here. Thank you that your spirit is moving among us, and I pray that you will complete the good work that you have begun. In Jesus' name, amen.